In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. A couple of housekeeping things. We do have some cocoa. I think we will probably have some left when uh, the service gets over. I know a lot of the kids enjoyed it. Just enjoy that cocoa on the tile. Uh, number two is we don't want a lawsuit, so if you do have to use the restroom, please use your phone for light and do not crash. That's number two. And then uh, number three is, I didn't put it in the bulletin, but we are starting just next month. Uh, this is just a commercial. There's a book called Two is One. It's from a, a website called Fierce Marriage, and it's a 30-day devotional for you and your spouse. So we have 23 of 25 of the books accounted for. So if this is something that you're interested in and you are here today, you're welcome to it. The, be- the best way to do that is just text uh, the word book, and I'm going to give you the number slowly. So it's okay if you pull your phones out now. Prepare them in case you have to use the restroom. And the number is 720 720- Six one three nine three nine nine. We're happy. I, I just don't want to run out, and we're going to start together as a congregation on the first, and so or the second on that Monday. And if you want one of these, just text it to me, and I'll make sure to order one through Amazon so we have them here to hand out next Sunday. So, I uh, hope everyone's Christmas is going fantastic. This really is the best time of the year. It's my favorite time of the year. We talked about this many, many times, and I'm, I'm guessing for many of you, if you are here, this is one of your favorite times of the year. If you were like kind of a Christmas grouch or something like that or a Grinch, you would have no interest to be at a service where you sing uh, Christmas songs and you, you get together with other Christians who really enjoy celebrating our Savior's birth. One of the classic prophecies uh, that we're going to look at, and that's what we've been doing during Advent, in one of the classic prophecies that we're going to look at, we looked at Isaiah 9, for to us a child is born, and we're going to look at one in Isaiah chapter 7. But in order to get to where we're going, you kind of have to stick with me because we're going we're to talk some history. And this is a dangerous thing when I shut all the lights off and I can't see you right now. So, uh, so we're going to talk a little bit of history to figure out how, what happened where this actually uh, came out 700 years before Jesus And then what does this mean for us today? So that's what we're going to look at, and we're going to see God's majesty that comes from it. So the situation is this, uh, how God usually functioned with his people, the Israelites, is he would have have a spokesperson who was kind of what they call a theocracy, and he would have a spokesperson that would talk like Moses, and God would say, okay, this is what I want my people to do, and then he would send someone and they would say that. Well, eventually the people complain, and they want a king, and that first king is Saul, we'll get to it. But the next king they get is the greatest of all the kings. And if there was like an Israelite action figure, it would be David. You could imagine like with the little sling and he would have, you know, like the whole thing because he killed Goliath and it would be an epic thing. So David is the greatest of all the kings. He has a son Solomon. And Solomon is so lousy. Solomon is so lousy that God says, you're the last of the singular kings. I'm going to split this kingdom up. And when countries split, how do they split? East, west, or north, south? Usually, besides Germany. Germans do everything different. So uh, normally it's north, south, right? So we have North Vietnam, South Vietnam. We had, uh, during the Civil War, we had the north and the south. We've got North Korea, South Korea, North Canada, South Canada. You know how this all works. And we've got like Texas and everybody else. So, I mean, this is... It, it, this is how it works in the United States as well. So normally you divide these things up. Well, the same thing happens in Israel, and they each get their own king. Now, the kings up in the north are super lousy, but the kings in the south aren't that bad. We've got guys like a guy named Uzziah, and then a guy named Jotham, and then they have a son named Ahaz. He becomes a king, as we know, in his 20s, and this is kind of the story that goes with him. So when Ahaz, son of Jotham, the 
son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, or Pekah, son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. These are all names you do not have to remember. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest were shaken by the wind. So the situation is this. You, I think we've all run into situations where we're trying to figure out, like, what do I do next? Maybe you're trying to figure out, okay, uh, what school do I go next? Uh, maybe you're graduating from high school. You think, what college do I go to? Maybe you have a job and you're thinking about getting a new job. Maybe there's a significant person in your life. Or maybe you just got engaged on Wednesday. That's someone. Anna and Tom got engaged on Wednesday. So you're trying to figure out, this is a big life decision, right? This is not just like picking out what you're going to wear for a Christmas Eve service or something like that. This is a big deal. And so you say, I wish I had some direction. Now, what happens if it's a little bit more serious and you say, okay, I'll what do I do with my health? Like, I'm, I'm sick and I'm wondering, what, what's the next step? Do I go see this specialist or do I fly here? Or do I try this experimental medicine? You know, all of these things are questions we, we all try to figure out. It's just a matter of what question you're trying to figure out. Well, Ahaz, he's the king of all this land, and he sees Israel team up with Syria, and they have this idea that says, okay, we are done being vassals to Assyria. Instead, we want to fight, and we're going to fight Judah, which is Jerusalem. Now, I know that the history is coming to an end, so don't worry. And so Ahaz is sitting there, and he sees them come down from the north, and they've already attacked some of the northern cities in his providence. So imagine you're the king, and you hear that 120,000 people die in battle. 120,000. That's double our small town of Castle Rock. 200,000 people, these are just civilians, are taken captive by this force. And now they've made their way, and you're in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem would not have been that big. They've, they've made their way, and they're surrounding your city, and they say, here's our plan. We want to kill you. And we want the line of David to be done forever because he was along that line. We want this to be over. And so it says that they're like shaking, like trees. This is a big deal. And usually, this is how God works. Once we had kings, he sends prophets. And when I was a kid, I always thought the prophets would predict the future at all times. So they would just show up and they would kind of make sounds like, hmm, I just talked to God, and then they would predict the future. That's not kind of how it works. Most of the time, they just tell them, here's what God wants. And so Isaiah, can you imagine having that job? You go to Ahaz and you said, okay, I'm going to tell you what, what God wants you to do in this situation. Ahaz wasn't all that interested because he had another plan. So they're surrounded by all these people, and Ahaz gets this plan. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to uh, befriend Assyria. That's kind of the big player at the time. And we're going to become buddies, and then they're going to come down and protect me. And so he has a way to do this. He says, I'm going to bribe them. He has this in his head. He's going to strip the temple of all its gold. He's going to start worshiping their gods, and he's going to start to compromise to say, this is who I'm with. I'm going to be with Assyria. In fact, he sends a note that says, essentially, I'm your boy. He says, I'm with you. I'm your son. That's what he says. And so this is all surrounded, and Ahaz is about to talk to um, Isaiah. And Isaiah says, tell you what, I'm going to tell you what is actually going to happen in the future. How awesome would that be? 
How many of you, like right now, just think about like the biggest question you have on your brain, um, a relationship question, like a work question, a finance question, like you're wondering, a uh, Super Bowl question, you know, like whatever, whatever that is, just think if someone came to you and said, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in the future. Does that sound ideal? We, we kind of do this a little bit because we, we can't predict the future. I can't predict the future. Is, can you predict the future? We cannot predict the future. So the best thing that we can do is kind of leave a deposit as a sign to say this is kind of where we're at. So if you go like uh, go-karting, what do they make you do? Sign a waiver, wear the neck brace, and a helmet. And then they say, like, we want your credit card in case there's any other damage that happens to our vehicle because you have to pay. In a sense, that's a sign to them to say, I'm good for whatever happens. Uh, We do the same thing if someone got engaged. When you get engaged, you get a ring generally, right? In the romantic Nicholas Sparks movies, it's probably like a twisted twig or something like that or grass. But in in most situations, it's like a metal ring to say like, hey, I'm in this until this ring is destroyed. And even past that, that's that's how committed I am. We have these signs. And so we, we long for some kind of indication that when we talk to God, we'd like some kind of sign. Have you ever wondered that? Ahaz is in this situation, and I, uh, Isaiah says, tell you what, you ask. So the Lord says to Isaiah, go out, you and your son, Shear Jessib, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool and the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of fire, what he's talking about this. Now just imagine, this is God who controls all things. This is God who made the earth. This is God who can do anything. Comes to you with your biggest problem, whether it's health or relationships or finances or whatever. And he says, don't even worry about it. Because the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramaliah, Aram and Ephraim and Ramaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let's invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabiel king over it. Who cares, God says. Because this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the heart of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will too be shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. So God comes to him with this promise. As the people are outside his warriors, 120,000 people have died, 200,000 people are captive, and God says, you don't worry about it. What's even better is that God says, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to prove to you that I'm going to come through here. There's a number of times that this happens in your life where you get signs that something is right. We long for this. I think um, when you tried to pick your school, what was the sign that you had to say, okay, this is the college I should be going to? What's the sign you had when you're married? What was the sign that gave it away that this is the person I want to be married to? Can you think of that moment? I've shared this story, and this is uh, surprising my wife has not divorced me because I share it about once a year. So the sign, we, we had a situation that happened, and I've shared this with you before, where we're at uh, her sister's house, and her nephew's tiny. And uh, Amy decides to entertain her nephew by putting her hair in pigtails and pretending to be a dog. And this was a trigger point for me. I said at that moment, 
and I could still picture, I can still picture this happening in the happy, it was a happy dog, this is not an angry dog, this is a happy dog, you know, pigtails flopping, and, the, and this is my beautiful uh, girlfriend at the time, and I thought, I would like her to be my wife. My wife is thinking something else, and she, when I told her this story, she said, it, it was at that moment I thought our relationship was over. Like, this is it. You, you play dog, you never go back. Like, you, you have no chance. And, that, and, and I said, it, for better or for worse, I can see that picture in my head. So that was a sign to me that things, this, this is it. Now, we, we talk about more serious things. What happens, though, if you've been in a relationship and you've offended someone? There's like a moment, right? Let's just start something really easy. You're at school and you say, you talk out of turn and you make some comment. Now, this is not autobiographical for my youth, but I mean, you just make some comment in class and the teacher just stares at you straight in the eyes. And there's like this moment you're wondering like, are we good? Or am I in real trouble? There's a moment when you say something to your parents and you're dorking around or the car, your dad is like, be quiet, please be quiet. Do not, okay, we're going to pull over. If I have to pull over now, you're going to get a spanking. And, or if I have to, if you don't be quiet right now, when we get home, you're going to get a spanking. That one is autobiographical, right? So, so you wondered, so you get home. So imagine this, it's a 45-minute ride in our station wagon, and it, which means my parents got there, and then I just arrived later after that. So it's a 45-minute ride, and then I get it, and I'm just sitting like this, no, 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 no. But my dad followed through. Like, there's a moment you're saying, do I see some sign that it's okay? Now, let's just raise it. I mean, at work, you got a big account or you do something really dumb and you have to go to sit at your boss's office or you go to the principal's office and you have to say something and you just wait. Is there a sign that I'm okay? It's a bigger deal, I think, as I talked about marriage. Every single one of us, if you've been married, you've gotten into a fight, you've done something stupid, you've said something stupid, and you kind of open up your heart. You open up your heart and you say, I'm so sorry for what I've done then there's like a moment, right? There's a moment where you wait to see are we still good. And your heart sinks, you know, like each passing like millisecond, your heart sinks and you can feel this coldness in your chest and you think, is this, is this the end because of something so stupid that I've done or something so stupid that I've said? You wait and you wait and you wait and you just long to hear a single word that says, I forgive you. Ahaz has that chance with God, and he comes before him, and Isaiah says, you name it, and I'm going to give you that sign, and Ahaz says, you know what? I've got other plans. So God says, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths to prove this, or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David, it is not enough to try the patience of human, will you try the patience of my God also. So the situation is God says, Ahaz, you ask whatever you want. Whatever you want. And I'm going to give it to you. It can be as high as it has. It can be anything you want. You can make like whales walk. You can do anything you want. And he goes, no, no, no. I'm not going to do that because I have my own other plan. And I think we've all been in situations just like that. I think we've all been in situations like this where God says, here's what I want for you. And we said, you know what, God, I've got my own plan. He's going to go be big brother and brother with Assyria. But we have our own plan. God says, okay, here's what I want. I want you to love your spouse unconditionally, no matter what happens. And we say, you know, God, I, I like where you're going with that, but I've got my own plan. 
Or God says, okay, I give you all this money. I give this to you, and I want you to be content. You say, God, I, I kind of like that idea of being content with what you give me, but I got my own plan. Have you ever had that where God says, okay, you give me, and we'll talk about money twice on a Christmas Eve. So God says, you give me money, and I will take care of you. You just test me and see, and I'll pour open the floodgates. We say, God, okay, okay, that sounds really awesome, but I've got my own plan. God says, don't gossip, and you say, God, I've got my own plan. God says, don't, you know, keep your eyes pure in your marriage. And we say, God, I got my own plan. God says, love your kids and discipline your kids. And we say, God, I got my own plan. We're, we're not all that different from Ahaz. And the scariest thing with Ahaz is Ahaz is a dirtbag. Like the worst. Of all the kings that functioned in the south, in Jerusalem, he's the worst. And I, I'm just going to give you a taste. He set up a new altar inside the temple. He stripped the altar in the temple of all its gold and he sent it off to a foreign god. He set up high places to worship foreign gods. He, he worshiped the god Molech. And it says, in, uh, it says in the Bible that he gave his own sons to Molech. So that we just had some babies born this week, uh, both on Wednesday, which is fantastic. We got a baptism next week, really excited about it. What they would do if you worship Molech, is you would take your baby. So imagine the, the joy you have. And I've seen these mothers, like their eyes are glowing because they're so excited. And they, they talk about how precious and sweet this baby is. You take your baby and this statue has these metal arms and they heat them up until they're red. They have this kind of ceremony with drums and, and you take your baby and you put it into that fire and you give it to this god, Molech. You know what I think the hardest part about this whole story is? Is that God talks to Ahaz. Does that make you mad a little bit? It makes me mad. You know, you, you think like, God, why can't I get a sign? And, you know, I've got my own issues. And you're probably thinking the same thing. I've got my own challenges. God, can't you give me some clarity here? And yet there's a guy who worships false gods. There's a guy who sacrifices his own kids. There's a God who's like... The, his own friends and family would just be appalled by who this human is, yet God comes to him and says, you, you ask and I'm going to give it. Grace. And grace is offensive. And so God steps into his world and he says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. This is the famous thing. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. It's a sign of judgment. Within 15 years, Ahaz, in his 30s, is taken care of and he's no longer king. But to us, it's a different sign. We, there's that moment, because I think we know our own darkness in our heart. I know my own selfishness. I know my own need to be praised. I know my own need to have power. I know my own need to, to, to want more stuff. I know my own discontent. I know my own need in a relationship to try and get and get and get and not give. I know I like to gossip. You know, and I think you know your own heart. And there's this moment where you wonder, God, I'm not Ahaz exactly, but do you love me? And God says, I've got a sign for you. I'm going to actually take on flesh. I'm going to actually step into this world. And we can't, it doesn't make any sense. Dorothy Sayers says it this way, for whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is, limited in suffering and subject to sorrows and death. He had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine, whatever game he is playing with his creation, 
he has kept his own rules and played fair. He can exact, exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and the lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. Why did he think it was worthwhile? What's the worst gift you ever got? Maybe this year I got soap on a rope from my wife. What, what happens when you get gifts that are a little bit telling? Has this ever happened to you? Like, um, you know, there's gifts that you ask for. You say, hey, I'd like you to get a new bike or something like that. But what happens, like, if your best friend takes you aside and says, hey, um, I got you this new dieting book? Like, what, what does that mean? Like, have you ever had that? Or someone gives you, like, Dale Carnegie's How to Make Friends and Influence People. Are you... You, you kind of have to admit something about yourself, like, okay, so I'm fat and I'm a jerk. Okay, I get it. Like, it's just, I, I understand where you're coming from. Has that ever happened to you, you get a gift like that? So, I think this is the hardest part about the whole Christmas story. We like the idea that God came into our world. What's offensive to us is that God comes into simple lives like Ahaz. What's offensive to us is that God says, here's a gift you need. Let me, let me test it this way. If you... Um, especially guys, just imagine, here's kind of a thought experiment. Um, maybe you've been on real dire financial straits. Maybe when you, you first uh, got out of college or something like that, you really needed money, you're totally broke, and someone steps into your life and says, I'm willing to give you this money. You might have even said no, especially guys. You might have said no. Why would you want to say no? Like the solution is right there. It's right there. Here, have some cash. This is going to alleviate your biggest problem. Why would you say no? Because you have to admit, as a man, I cannot do it. When the Holy Spirit works on your heart and says Emmanuel has come into this world, that you need a Savior from your own dark heart, that your own plans have not worked, when you need a Savior from your own dark heart and selfishness and greed and discontent, at that moment you have to accept something about yourself, that you need a Savior that you needed extraordinary means for God to step into this world and God could have done literally anything. Literally anything. I've got my own DNA limiters. There's only so much I can do for my wife. There's only so much I can do for my kids. There's only so much work I can do. There's only so much power I have. There's only so much money I have. God steps into this world. There isn't a single thing that limits him in the whole entire world. And what does he choose his power to do? It's not exactly Molech, but he spreads his arms on a cross to die completely for your sins. God is actually here on this earth and all these problems you run into, God says, I have an ear to hear you. I have a desire to listen to you. I have a desire to step into your world and help you. Final thing. Christmas songs are coming up and I thought about some of the most popular Christmas songs. What are some of your favorite Christmas songs? Everyone's afraid to say non-churchy songs at church. Okay, so I'll say some non-churchy songs. So I was just thinking about some of these songs. The most wonderful time of the year. How many of you guys like this song? I, it's okay, you know, like I can't see you anyway, so don't worry about it, <laughs> except for you. No, 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 that's not true. So, so you think about these songs, but what exactly, I mean, they're fun to sing, and they, the radio comes on, and it makes me super happy, but what exactly does this say? It's the most wonderful time of the year with kids jingle-belling 
and everyone telling you, be of good cheer. Does that actually help? Like, you call Amazon and say, hey, my package didn't show up, and they're like, I got good news and bad news. The bad news is the package is not showing up, but be of good cheer, right? Like, who wants people to tell you how I should feel? Like, that's not helping. That is not helping right now. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Does that actually work? And I thought about another song, um, one of my favorites, and this is one I think many of you know. I got to make sure I get the words right, though. Uh, we wish you a Merry Christmas. So, we wish you a Merry Christmas, we wish you a Merry Christmas, and a Happy New Year. The whole thing goes on, and I'm like, hey, that's pretty good. But what happens in the next verse? Does anyone understand that? Now, bring us some figgy pudding. What is figgy pudding? So, so this puts us, we have like two holidays where there's threats involved. With like Halloween, it's like trick or treat. You know, like, this is an actual threat. And no one, now, what, this is the same thing in this song. If you listen to it, um, it says, now bring us some figgy pudding. In case you didn't hear us, bring us some figgy pudding. In case you didn't hear us, bring us some figgy pudding. <laughs> What's the next verse? We won't go till we got some. Like, I can imagine, like, just going to this poor woman's house, like this old lady and saying, hey, I'd like some figgy pudding, and we're not going until we get it. And she's like, I don't know what figgy pudding is, Right? <laughs> So we have all these things. My guess, and this is just a guess, I won't be alive anyway so I can make this prediction, that we will not be singing these songs 100 years from now. That's a guess. Because I think the only thing that lasts is, is not just these tunes. I think the thing that lasts is the extraordinary. And earlier today, we sang a song that's been around for over 100 years. O come, O come, Emmanuel. That means God with us. And so we're saying, God, I need a Savior. Come into my world Ransom captive Israel, mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. I think we're going to be singing this song in a hundred years. Maybe it's not your favorite, but it, it opens up the majesty of God that in spite of who we are, God steps into our world and takes our place, sacrifices his life so that we can have ultimate joy. Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you truly are amazing. Uh, you come into our world in, in God with us. We can't understand this, but here you are, and you could do anything you wanted, but instead you laid aside your powers, and you went to a cross just because of us. Help us as our hearts rejoice. Uh, we see the darkness in our own hearts, but our hearts can rejoice because that you, you only take away the bad stuff, and you take away our sin and our shame and our guilt, and instead you replace it with peace and joy and contentment that we can have only in a relationship with you. We ask this in your name. Amen.